0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to Be Real. It is your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. From Portland, Oregon, my name is Chance Solemn-Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. From where? Where,
1: where do you hail from? I usually hail from Brooklyn, New York, but uh, today I'm in Tucson, Arizona.
0: Today we've gathered to discuss three movies of a a similar genre, and that genre with a couple topical hooks in the form of the movies Flower and Thoroughbred is uh, teenage girls and their revenge plots against older men.
1: And this is sort of it's 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 a difficult genre, and yeah, you know, it definitely winks a lot at movies like Heather's. I don't know if you've seen that. That's mm-hmm. that's a movie ripe for reappraisal too. At some point,
0: a lot of people talked about uh, thoroughbreds in the context of Heather's, but we are not. We're going to discuss Wild Things.
1: Yeah, Wild Things is our is our baseline here. <laughs> is our third, and what a cultural baseline it is
0: for everyone. I think.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's certainly an interestingly positioned uh, film But before we get into all that Chance, you're about to depart for uh, you know a, a month-long journey Tell us about that
0: Yeah, uh, I should say real quick before we go to the ethos corner uh, Abby Bender is going to join us in just a few minutes To talk to us about wild things at 20 years old But yes, you are correct I am going to Europe
2: Keep it real Think slow we should get through it just fine. Hello, Ryder, Donny. Donny, hello Ryder.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be gone for like uh, 22 days or something, which is- That's great. Which is crazy. Uh, I haven't done a vacation like that in a minute and haven't been out of the country since I uh, studied hip hop abroad in Sweden. <laughs> In 2011 I
1: remember that You came back With some stories
0: Uh, Yeah And I think most of them Wound up in some kind Of college newspaper Relationship column At one point Um, But yeah uh, My girlfriend and I Are going to see My sister in Cyprus She's there on a Fulbright We're gonna do London We're gonna do Italy If you're hearing this I'm there right now I just don't know How it's gonna be yet Um, Right I imagine it'll be If you're listening to
1: this I'm already dead (laughs) Right
0: I will have had too much wine or else Sarah will have killed me because I paid too much attention to my list of old movies I want to watch and not enough to sightseeing. So, Right. I'm kidding. It's going to be great. Uh, so we're kind of time traveling in this ethos corner, but how's Tucson?
1: Tucson is It's pretty good. It's pretty relaxing. The weather's nice. You can sit outside and drink my coffee in the morning. And I could drink your coffee. Uh, Yeah, I kind of confused, though. Get get me there now. (laughs) One could drink one's coffee um, outside, which has been great. Had a nice little walk staying with my aunt and uncle, who have these two very beautiful, but like also very disinterested Dalmatians. Okay. So they sort of like have come up to me and my brother and my dad who are here, and they're sort of like, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and then they like go off and do something else. But we went on a sort of a, a relationship-building walk earlier, which was nice. Um,
0: I was going to say, don't pretend that the temperament of those Dalmatians is any different than yours when you walk into a room.
1: <laughs> right. Basically, I tr- would, uh, treat, or I am being treated by these Dalmatians as I would treat a guest in my own home. <laughs> um, but yeah, chance. I, I need to share with you too that right now, as we record this, my family is watching tombstone a mm. movie that you just go nuts for oh yeah and, and then we're going to tombstone uh, on friday so next time we speak i'll have a full report
0: i can't imagine what a heinous tourist trap uh, <laughs> it's going to be <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know we, i i can't even imagine it's somewhere between the grand canyon and like south of the border or something
0: sure. i wonder if like do you feel like and please let me know in detail do you think like some reenactors take more page out of the tombstone book and some more out of the Wyatt Earp book
1: well that's my concern is like is it Pirates of the Caribbean sort of (laughs) tombstone or is it like and this is the historical place where you know Val Kilmer said I'll be your Huckleberry
0: (laughs) okay let's talk about movies (laughs)
2: Okay, let's
0: run. Okay, uh, we're going to start with 1998's Wild Things, right?
1: I I think there's no other place to logically start.
0: Okay, so this movie just turned 20, as as mentioned, uh, right at the end of March. Uh, What an auspicious day that is for our country. Um, It's directed by John McNaughton, who never really did... Did a lot of TV, but this is probably the most famous thing on his resume. It stars Matt Dillon, Denise Richards, Nev Campbell. Uh, so that's that's the 1990s in a in a sweaty <laughs> nutshell <laughs> for you right there. And then uh, Kevin Bacon is also in it, and Bill Murray makes an appearance. Um, but yeah, so a lot of these movies, especially Thoroughbreds and Wild Things take a page from classic noir, right?
1: Well, it's, yeah, this movie is, like, quickly set up, and it, like, there's this incredible um, score in there. uh, By George S. Clinton. By George S. Clinton. And it sort of has, like, an opening similar to one of my favorite underappreciated genre films, um, Out of Time.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's somewhere between, like, body heat and 10 things I hate about you. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, but also with some very of its time, like tabloid frenzy around crime, right? It was was an
1: age called um, when teachers started getting busted for having sex with students.
0: Also that, yeah.
1: I think was the the main sort of topical focal point of this. But of course, like in a 90s teen movie Hollywood way is... Using that to, ex- it's an exploitation film.
0: So the setup for this movie is the setup is fairly simple, which is that like deceptively simple, which is that there's a, a hot guidance counselor at this school named Mr. Lombardo, played by Matt Dillon, and the you know the the popular girl at the school, Kelly. Uh, what's her real name? Kelly Van Ryan, or her fake name is Kelly Van Ryan, played by Denise Richards. It was like very clearly like eyeing the hot guidance counselor, uh, and so she and a friend go over for the cheerleader car wash drive to wash. Which is a
1: yeah, the cheerleader car wash thing is a, a personalized thing that the cheerleaders come to your home.
0: Yeah, the door to door style. The door to
1: door. Yeah, but they're really like compelled and he's going to be in the glades this weekend and his car is going to get extra dirty.
0: It's very clear, at least in this setup that Kelly intends to hook up with Mr. Lombardo. She goes into his house after her friend leaves. And then the movie kind of like resets. Like this is clearly the, the incident that you do not see, but that will lead to, you know, spills the noir out over, right over the table. Um, And she comes out with a torn shirt and she says that Mr. Lombardo raped me. And then this other girl, uh, Susie, played by Nev Campbell, who um, is poor and, like, lives in a trailer out by this kind of, like, alligator farm, but also goes to the school and has been busted by Kevin Bacon, a a local cop for having a bunch of weed, um, also tries to corroborate her claim and says that he raped me as well. Then there's a trial, uh... There's a lot of media attention, and you're
1: forgetting like the the big turn.
0: What am I also
1: forgetting? that Bill Murray like suddenly appears in this movie as Lombardo's lawyer?
0: Right, as basically like the Better Call Saul of this of this yeah, town, a blue. Bay. He's definitely
1: the the Bob Odenkirk of this. You have this sad sort of Albuquerque equivalent.
0: Yep. Um. So under questioning. Nev Campbell breaks, says that she made it up because of Denise Richards. Lombardo gets off on the charge and then has gets a bunch of money because he can right because he
1: countersues. He countersues.
0: The Kelly's rich. very wealthy. Yeah, mom. Yeah.
1: And so then it, the movie, I would say, resets again.
0: This movie resets so many times. But so, could, had you seen this before? You had. I had seen it as, like, a teenager. So you knew it was coming? No, I knew something... Like,
1: people weren't who they seemed, but I didn't realize just how contrived it ultimately
0: was. Well, so... After that scene, there's there's like sort of this, like, you know, like a fake denouement. I mean, you're only 42 minutes into the movie or something. And there's this kind of fake denouement where like Lombardo goes to Bill Murray's office and like gets his settlement. And is like, yeah, I'm going to go away for a little while. And Sarah and I are watching this and she turns to me and she goes, like, first of all, kind of like offended by the nature of like a noir that is setting up like a false rape accusation. But I think once the movie gets to where it's going, that matters less and less. But we were just like flabbergasted. She turned to me and said like, where could this movie possibly go?
1: Yeah. I mean, this movie sort of turns over its cards, has like pocket twos and has like really nothing to play at 45 minutes in. So it's like, well, where do you go? Everything's been resolved. Like, where
0: do you go from here? Then it turns out the deck is all jokers. Then of course there's there's just like four different scenes, not four, like two and a half, of topless Denise Richards. Yeah. And and a and a, and a hetero male gaze in the camera that like this may be an erotic thriller, but like it is not Paul verhoeven like um, you know, what's well, not that perverse, and it's just not that interesting. It's just like a softcore porn. What's aesthetic. yeah,
1: it, it is very really like softcore porny, but it's also sort of like I was just sort of like watching the, the the movement of the scene, just to see like the actors and how they sort of did it. And apparently, they like famously like drank a bunch of tequila before they did the scene. But the move, like the actors and the characters in it, like are only interested in each other's like chests. Right. Like, there's no like touching of any like real genitals. It's just like the breast is like how these people choose to mate. (laughs) <laughs> both male and female It's just by like rubbing their breasts, which sure. like, I guess works for an R-rated movie, but it's like a little hokey if you're watching it, like for some semblance of like what realism may look like in two, hu- three humans trying to negotiate a sexual situation.
0: Right. Yeah. How many people do you think this like set back in their early sexual encounters? Cause they're just like, do we just like, do we just pour and Rob like what does it have to be
1: champagne can it be something else (laughs) you know it's and it's just the you're telling me it's just the breasts
0: if it's not Dom Perignon it's not safe sex as far as I'm concerned right but then
1: like going back to your point now we're an hour into this movie and it's like okay well either they get caught or they don't but this movie still has hit like a dead end (laughs)
0: right
1: and this movie's like nope we haven't hit a dead end (laughs) We're going to reset again, and still things are not what they seem, and then Kevin Bacon's sort of the bad guy. Right. So, I don't think it's possible to spoil this movie, because I didn't find the turns to be that surprising. I just found them to be hilarious.
0: Yeah, not the bacon. The bacon turn is not that surprising.
1: No, because he's clearly like a bad police officer he's not good at at doing the police thing and he's clearly corrupt in some way and then realizing that he's like kind of been in 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 on this like way earlier than you thought how did this all start like whose idea was this you gotta watch the
0: post credits baby (laughs) yeah you have to
1: watch the post credits Uh, mid credits i should say right yeah there's just like a directed by and then there's 15 more minutes of footage
0: yeah this movie's insane
1: yeah, it has a nutso quality to it that's both highly watchable and totally insane. And so uh yeah.
0: So our guest coming up Abby is going to make the case I think that this movie is a good good even though we didn't talk about it in those terms. Um I think that I think my love of this movie is not some kind of like Love is a strong word. Yeah, I was gonna say you have a
1: love for this movie. (laughs)
0: My my appreciation and shock watching this movie is not an ironic one. There are how many how many movies make you go hold your head and go what? over and over and over again. That's a very small percentage of movies. Um, and it's an experience I think we all wish we could have more often in our entertainment. So like that's not to be discounted. Um, but so here's my thing is I don't think the movie is smart enough to position the sex scenes as anything more than like a f- like a sexual firework to attract your attention. Just like look over here for a second. <laughs> At at this like loud sex as spectacle You know it doesn't have the like the The body heat um, Interpersonal like mind fuckery Between the characters
1: Sure yeah no I agree with that It certainly doesn't have the nuance of Body heat because it simply doesn't have The idea of body heat Right You know and so it then falls on What I would say sort of like Trickeration of plot instead of like actual plot but
0: there's no bottom to the fake top hat (laughs) it just goes and goes and goes
1: it just keeps going into another another dimension um it's interesting because like i mean watching this in 2018 you know your reaction to it this like non-plussed like what was sort of my equivalent to it was no less emotional but it was sort of like a You know, five minutes into this movie, I was like, because I'd only vaguely remembered it, but five minutes in when I like figured out like what the dynamic was going to be, I was just like, oh no. (laughs) And then it was just like a series of increasingly louder, oh no's. Yeah. As like it became one more like sexually and politically problematic, but then when it became just sort of narratively problematic it just was so it's such a mess
0: the fact that it is so crazy i think absolves it of some of like the political read you might have
1: well it, it knows that it's crazy and i think that there's something potentially admirable about that like it knows th- i mean even you know however many years ago it knew that like a teacher raping a student was like Fucked up and like worthy of You know Matt Dilling having to like You know cash out and like Leave his life Mm -hmm. So but the fact That it uses it for such Like I don't know for such like entertainment You know Trickery is It's pretty sick stuff
0: Yeah That's exploitation films for you Should we turn toward a rating
1: Absolutely. Shall we remind the listeners how we do things here on the pod? There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings. Good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment.
0: Good Good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. (laughs) Or more recently, Get Out and Lady Bird.
2: That we know of yet.
0: Good Good movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That
1: was the best movie I've ever seen. Bad Bad is easy, too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician-turned-actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation.
0: I'll pass.
1: Or many Nicholas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior.
2: You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer.
1: Bad Bad movies make chance
0: say... I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or Awards Bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul, leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud.
1: Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. They're anything from flawed but charming Nancy Meyers outings,
2: I'm miraculously done being in love with you,
1: to late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. Hey, baby hey, baby love, what's going on? They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China or Stargate.
0: Saw on the reflexes. Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says. But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth.
1: I think this is a pretty quintessential, even like Chance Solemn-Pfeiffer textbook, bad good. I agree. It is a beautiful, beautiful mess. Oh, yeah. And... Worth the price of admission. Um, But like, it's so stupid. (laughs) It's so unbelievably stupid and campy and exploitative of the attractiveness of these female actresses. And yeah, but I enjoyed every frame.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's stupid. To me, it has an appealing combination of fearlessness and tastelessness. Right. Um, but yeah, it goes back to that. I just think if you, got, if you got a director... If you got Adrian Lin, who did Fatal Attraction to direct this movie, it could be like a, like a classic. If you got somebody who is developing Susie and Kelly along the way... Right. I think it would be much better, but instead you have somebody with the eye of a 14-year-old straight boy um who again is just using sex as spectacle to distract you from what's otherwise like a you know a real confidence play. <laughs> so I'm going to go bad good too. I think I just like it more than you.
1: Yeah, I think it just because it it forces the viewer to buy into Matt Dillon being a good guy so early he, and then flipping Dylan. it it's Matt Dillon. He's a scumbag. Like they wouldn't have cast Matt Dillon, um, and then, f- you know, sort of proving you right that it was like Matt Dillon. What are you doing in this role? You know, is sort of, it's a tricky, like male gazey kind of move.
0: What do you think happens if Bacon and Dillon switch parts?
1: That's. I think it's a more interesting movie because I think we've seen Bacon do both well so it wouldn't be so crazy to see him as the villain but you'd also like want to buy into him you know you know jumping around in the town where dancing is illegal or whatever
0: right yeah i think that might actually be more interesting and then dylan is sort of like the alcoholic like handsome but slightly battered cop who's not going anywhere
1: Um, ray duquette
0: infinitely discussable movies so let's discuss a little bit more with uh, Abby Bender right now we've come to the halfway point of our senior seminars (laughs) our guests today come from the Blue Bay Police Department why don't we begin with a question what is a sex crime not
1: getting any. welcome to the town of Blue Bay
2: hi Mr. Lombardo hey girls so where's your host, Mr.
0: Lombardo? So our guest today writes about film for publications like The Village Voice, Nylon, Broadly, The Washington Post. But today we've come to her with the innocent goals of washing her Jeep and talking about the film Wild Things, um, which she wrote about for Thrillist in late March when the movie turned 20 years old. Abby Bender, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm very excited to have you. So... I get the sense from your writing this reappraisal of Wild Things that maybe it comes from a pretty deep affection for the erotic thriller genre and maybe a few other viewings of this movie. So what was what was your first interaction with it and what kind of what spurred you to write the piece?
2: Oh, well, it's kind of a funny story. I actually discovered the movie through my dad. Oh, um, good. <laughs> because he's like he's always been a really big fan of like con artist movies and just like. You know, he, like, sort of appreciates, like, stylized stuff in genre movies. And I remember he showed it to me. I think he was just, like, at one point when I was in high school, he's just like, oh, my God, you have to see Wild Things. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And I watched it that way. And, I mean, I thought it was, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And, like, we have the kind of relationship where it wasn't weird that he suggested it to me. It was more just like, oh, this is, like, this cool, really well done movie. Yeah. So that was how I first saw it.
0: That's wild. A classic uh, father-child passed down experience.
2: Bonding experience, totally. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. then um, later on, I think I like w- introduced a couple friends to it in college. And it was just like, I just, yeah, I feel like it's a really well done example of that erotic thriller genre. Yeah. It's because, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like kind of. Trashy and on the surface it has All of the you know The sort of lurid And sexual elements but it's also Just very tightly constructed And very smart So
0: I wanted to kind of get a The, the terminology you used To kind of reappraise this movie and, and talk about its reputation Was one of the things I loved about The piece was that it was more Than just like people might think this is bad But it's actually good you really zoned in On this idea of pleasure and guilt which (laughs) seem to be I would say would be two of the driving forces in with erotic thriller characters and also the people who who watch them I mean they're kind of toying with your sense of pleasure and guilt so what what guilt do you think people might have about wild things that you want them or that you're arguing they should get past
2: um well thank you for your nice words and um I yeah I've always really kind of hated the phrase guilty pleasure like I obviously can see what you know what people use it for and like why people feel the need to use it but I just just find the phrase really annoying so I'm always sort of trying when I talk about movies that fit into that category which I do rather often
0: sure
2: (laughs) I always kind of try to you know deconstruct it a little bit and um
0: what bugs you about it?
2: I mean, I just think that if you like something, you should kind of try to own it. Sure. Like it's... it just feels so wishy-washy to be like, "Oh, this is a guilty pleasure." It's like, can't you just say you like something? Uh huh. Like it's like this annoying kind of coyness where you're like, "Oh, look at you know, oh look mm-hmm. at me, like I'm being so naughty that I like this movie."
0: Yeah, it's couched in self awareness and stuff.
2: Yeah, so that's always kind of just bugged me a bit. I feel like with a movie like Wild Things, it's, like, very self-aware, like, the way a lot of the iconography it uses, like, and, you know, I'm not going to go out there and claim, like, oh, this is a feminist masterpiece or something, you know, <laughs> but I do think the way it uses a lot of that iconography of, like, you know, the sexy car washing and, like, the pouring champagne on someone's breast, Right. I think it's definitely kind of trying... What's what's the right word to is I think it's kind of trying to twist that imagery a little bit just by being so upfront about it and then making the narrative so so like layered and so subversive you don't know who to trust it turns out that the character who you like like you know a character you wouldn't necessarily expect is like a criminal mastermind genius.
0: Even if, the, if you wanted to have a debate about the self-awareness, it still works as misdirection at the end of the day, right?
2: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, because, and again, as I said in my piece, it's like all of the sex scenes is people using sex and using feminine wiles to get ahead and to get information and to like to move the narrative in some way, which I feel like also... Goes back to film noir and the idea of like a femme fatale who's like using her seductiveness to misdirect men and to to get power for herself.
0: So talking about it like a film noir, one of the things that you came back to a few times in your essay uh, was the setting, which is crucial for like any effective noir, right? You should probably feel mm-hmm. like people are, you know, coming out of the grimy cracks in the city if it's set in New York, or in this case, you know, kind of like their worst selves climb out of the swamp of. Yeah. of on the uh, on the Everglades side here. So, do you have a favorite element or something that jumped out to you on your last viewing about the atmosphere and how it is effective?
2: Um yeah, I mean, I think the score works really well cuz it's like a very like sort of sultry mm-hmm. score and like the way there are like these sort of shots where it like sweeps over this sweaty landscape and it seems like I was actually thinking when I was watching it again, about how, like, like just like the idea of like sweatiness is very yeah. important to yeah. this genre. That's like, totally true. You know, one of, like, the big canonical erotic thrillers is Body Heat, and that's like the sweatiest movie ever. Like, oh,
0: God, yeah. You
2: know, like, Kathleen, Kathleen Turner's always just like, it's so hot. I'm so sweat. You know, <laughs> I'm so sweaty.
0: <laughs> I should say, I had never seen this movie before uh, picking it out for the podcast, and mm-hmm. I was. Quite effectively, twisted around by its half dozen or so twists, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. It's, yeah. and then it's a mid credit explanation of those twists. Um, but what do you what do you get on rewatch? What jumps out to you about kind of the plot construction that someone who's only seen it once uh, can't know? Are there any dynamics or character things that come forward?
2: Part of what I love is that you know, like Nev Campbell and Bill Murray are both the characters who are like sort of most posited as like like sort of white white trash type thing. Sure. Like you sure. just see like Bill Murray's office and you see that he has like that sort of sketchy like neck brace and uh-huh. you're like, oh, I really trust this guy. And then you see Nev Campbell and she has like in this sort of shabby house and she's like flipping people off. So I think, you know, and on a rewatch you're sort of more aware of how that sort of Class presentation is being used to misdirect you.
0: Right. That's so interesting. Yeah, I hadn't because I haven't rewatched it. (laughs) But there's so much talk about, you know, the Lombardo character. Like, oh, you'll never be one of them. You're just you're like practically a pool boy to these people. And yet, the people who've lived in the class system much longer are the ones pulling the strings.
2: Yeah, that element of it is like is like really cool. I think absolutely. I also like the, um, I'm forgetting her name, but the woman police officer. Oh, right, right. I feel like she is kind of one of the people that you maybe trust a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Because
2: she's like kind of, I think she's a bit more sympathetic.
0: Can I pitch a weird theory to you?
2: Oh, totally.
0: Should Duquette and Lombardo have not also hooked up at the end when Kevin Bacon comes out of the shower, that just felt like a very charged moment as well, akin to the pool scene. And I just felt like they should have done it too.
2: I feel like maybe like the late nineties wasn't quite ready for that.
0: Yeah, probably not.
2: Oh no, but I was going to say, it's like there aren't, usually there's a lot of um, female nudity in erotic thrillers, but not very much male nudity. So like seeing, um, you know the the bacon bits
0: <laughs> sets it apart. Nicely put. Um, yeah, because
2: it's like you don't really, yeah, you don't see a lot of naked guys in these movies. He,
0: no, no, you don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think we ever got that from Michael Douglas in any of his. No, many I mean erotic trailers.
2: I feel like maybe you like see his butt at some point, oh, but you know you don't get any butt. full frontal. Right.
0: If we think about how. This connects to a movie like Thoroughbreds 20 years later, which also sorts kind of hinges on uh, young women plotting some sort of revenge and like looking inside their plot and and playing with femme fatale noir devices. How do you see where we at 20 years later? Do you think with a movie like Wild Things and people trying to construct comparable stories today?
2: Well, I have to say that even though I feel as if Thoroughbreds has some pretty interesting potential on paper, mm-hmm. if that's like the sort of, if that's like expanding the twenty the Wild Things legacy 20 years later, it just makes me all the more nostalgic for Wild Things. Because uh-huh. um, Thoroughbreds, I just felt like was very, and I know a lot of this was intentional, but it's very, it's so like cold. Right. Right it was so purposefully devoid of any sort of sexuality or any sort of like sort of deeper look at like the female friendship. Mm -hmm. Like it just, the characters both felt kind of one dimensional to me. Okay. And again, I know that's kind of intentional, but it just kind of annoyed me. So I feel as though, um, thoroughbreds could have benefited from a little bit more like just, And I'm not saying, oh, you know, this movie had to be more sexy, but I think it could have been been from a little more,
0: like
2: a little more active, like weirdness or heat or something. It just needed something to me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from there. I wonder if the, I mean, you say in your piece, like Wild Things is a movie that we would call problematic today, but it's also the kind of movie that just like tramples over that very idea whereas I wonder if specifically men making movies about young women today maybe the fear of God is in them a little bit more and maybe it should be
2: yeah I think you can easily take some of the elements of a movie like wild things and make something that is like pretty like just like dismiss it easy to dismiss and you know maybe sexist in some way hmm. filmmakers do need to be careful of avoiding those pitfalls but like I would I would love to see like more smart movies that like you know deal with young women doing devious things in like an interesting way because there aren't there aren't enough of those and like I feel like if you're a good director and writer and you're like working with actors who are game you shouldn't have to be like scared of that you know use your use your judgment but you can also like push things a little bit
0: well abby i think i think we should close it out there but is there anything you want to plug anything you're working on you want people to check out
2: um well you can follow me on twitter um i'm abby a b b e y underscore bender b e n d e r And you can also check out my portfolio at abbybender.wordpress.com. And I'm just like, you know, I'm freelancing currently. So I'm just working on a bunch of things for a bunch of places. And I've been, you know, just over like the past year or so, just been really fascinated about, fascinated by this genre of the erotic thriller and what it means and what it can do. So I'll hopefully be writing about it again if people don't get tired of reading on me reading me on it i should
0: say we've done basic instinct fatal attraction and disclosure but if you would care to be one of our erotic thriller correspondents going forward i'd be happy to do it again sometime
2: oh yeah that's a great title um (laughs) i like want that on my business card
0: but abby this is fun congrats on the piece and and thanks for talking
2: Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, again, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm glad to be representing Wild Things on its 20th anniversary, which should really be a holiday. Um, someone on Twitter had posted on March 20th that it was the an- also the anniversary of Basic Instinct's release.
0: No shit. And I was
2: like, oh my god. So it came out like the same day that Wild Things would come out. So it That's is truly crazy. like... Yeah, so it's truly like the most blessed day for that genre.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, a perfect excuse to celebrate every year.
2: I don't have any feelings ever. And that doesn't necessarily make me a bad person. It just means I have to work a little harder to be good.
1: I'm sending you to boarding
2: school. After that, you're off my payroll. You hate him. You despise him. Honey, you can't go in looking like that. I'm fine. I'm not going to have to stand here all day like a robot repeating myself. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You ever think about just killing him?
0: So, Thoroughbreds came out uh, at the end of February, early March, I think. And it is uh, an indie film from first time writer director Corey Finley, who's about our age, and he's uh, a playwright. By trade Uh, But this was his first film About, wait for it Two young women Plotting revenge On a skeezy older man
1: Well that's, I think that's the interesting element Of all these movies is they're all Yeah, women plotting revenge against skeezy older men In movies all written and directed by men
0: Oh yeah, that's a big Point of discussion
1: Which is so Yeah, it's totally fascinating And, you know Not without its own sort of set of things to be aware of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Overreaches and limitations alike. Um, So, yeah, the setup for this movie is that in, what is it, Westport, Connecticut? Very bougie Connecticut. Yes. Um, It opens with Amanda who's like 17, a 17-year-old high school student, going over to the home of a girl she used to be Ben's best friends with, but they haven't interacted in a long time. Uh, Ostensibly to study for the SAT, but it is very clear right away that Amanda knows that Lily, the other girl played by Anya Taylor-Joy, is being paid by Amanda's mother to socialize with her. Amanda quickly drops the fact that she's a sociopath, like clinically, she does, she feels nothing, uh, n- hungry, but no envy. Um, and then Lily's just like, oh, that's interesting. And then very quickly, you find out that her Lily's stepfather, Mark, played by Paul Sparks, who you might know from, uh, he plays that writer on House of Cards. He plays a very skeezy character in The Night of. Is there anything else we know Paul Sparks from?
1: No, but he would... I mean, this movie was written with him
0: in mind. It seems like it. Um, and sh- You're forgetting the,
1: the open, like the cold open of this where... Oh, God, yeah. A, Amanda's just like chilling in this barn with this horse and she has this knife. Yep. And then it cuts to like weeks later.
0: Right. Horses are a big... Horses and what happened to that horse are a big motif in this movie. Uh, but in the, in the central plot, I'll just say that very quickly Amanda's, Amanda's like, oh, Lily, you... You hate Mark You clearly loathe him And Lily's like No I don't Um, And she's like Yes you do Have you ever thought About killing him And Lily doesn't appreciate That at first But very quickly (laughs) She starts to uh, Become more amenable To the idea As Mark threatens To cut her off And send her to Like a school For misbehaving teens And also Mark is constantly using his rowing machine on the floor above. Uh, And as a father with a rowing machine, I know what sound those make by people who use them obsessively. And uh, (laughs) this is kind of what a new agey one though. So it's sort of like a, a mind numbing whirr.
1: it is it's it's, and it's horribly like annoying. It is. Um, This movie also has like a really good score. Oh, the score is fascinating. it's almost just like a xylophone or something, just like hitting sort of dissonant notes.
0: Yeah, and it, and there with an occasional like timpani crash. But at one point, right. I started counting the seconds, and it'll go as many as nine seconds between like drum crashes. So it's just that sort of like atonal, arrhythmic, like mm-hmm. like it, it. It
1: reminded me a bit of like Birdman.
0: Totally. Also, at the same time as I think the score works to kind of like unwind your like kind of subconscious expectations for what a movie like this does and how you should relate to the characters. And it kind of draws you into this like weird relationship with all these people who are either feeling nothing or feeling very scary things. They don't let on.
1: Right. And I think it's not too much of a spoiler because it's revealed in the trailer that these two young women then decide to hire the local deadbeat played by Anton Yelkin in one of his final performances which is very sad because he's like pretty um, unbelievable in this
0: movie he's amazing in this movie
1: and you know the complications that then arise from hiring a local deadbeat (laughs) to do your dirty work
0: yeah somebody who was like maybe just like a leather jacket wearing pot dealer like art do you also do murders? (laughs) But he also
1: sees himself, like, as, you know, he's, like, a very, like, weirdly American character of being, like, he's not poor and down and out. He's just not yet rich and
0: successful. Yeah. He's kind of like, he, like Darkest Timeline uh, Cocktail Tom Cruise.
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah, he's got a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence in many situations, but is also, like, working. He's, like, a dishwasher at a nursing home.
0: Right. When he's not he's showing like, up at high school parties to get, like, people 10 years younger than him to buy drugs. So, I think my
1: major, when it comes to, like, independent films like this, I think you have to look at the Venn diagram or, like, the line graph of ambition versus means. Yeah. Yeah and I think this movie on a lot of levels has a lot of intellectual and sort of emotional ambition to it, but it clearly like doesn't have any money and what it sort of renders is a movie that like, whether intentionally or not is pretty claustrophobic, I would say it's a lot of like very tight sets and they've clearly gotten use of this like incredibly scary, like, rich person mansion house thing, which is, I mean, a character in the movie. Uh, It's, it's, it looms so heavily, but it's also like, I would have wanted more like a, a scene at school, you know, or like, I mean, there's a party sequence and I guess it's like summer vacation or whatever, but it just seems like this Connecticut town really is just this like one house and like someone else's driveway there's limitations to the sort of directorial scope of this thing and it makes sense that like the writer director is a playwright because he's used to these like standing sort of set pieces but I think when you're talking about a motion picture you know even if it's just that like ridiculous stupid helicopter shot at the beginning of reversal of fortune or something. Like (laughs) at least you get a sense of like where we are. Mm -hmm. And I think I was always sort of lacking. Like I know where we are like room wise, but I don't know where we are like city town statewide until I see like a Connecticut license plate and then have someone reference like going into New Haven or New York or something. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that's very attributable to yeah, just Corey Finley's priorities. I think he's so interested in the script and the. It's interesting. I I think that a movie like Wild Things is is all plot. Right. It's all plot, and with but it's
1: smart enough to have that like Matt Dillon on that raft thing and like the alligators and like it gives you that like richness of place that I think this one in particular is lacking
0: sure I I don't disagree with that but I think this movie's biggest priority is the characters um, and I think that the characters are in their own way fascinating particularly Olivia Cook's Amanda because what she's doing I mean it's interesting to talk about this movie again like like a heather's but not quite. And maybe in relationship to the expectation from the trailer, but not quite. Like this is not a movie about kind of like this generation's like entitled, lackadaisical, disaffected teen. She literally feels nothing, which is such a small like notch over on the performance meter from from where she should be. But I I think the great thing that this trick pull or that this the great trick this movie pulls is that by the end of the movie. I feel, I felt deeply scared, sad on behalf of her lack of emotion and where she ended up. Like I right. think the writing, the writing done on behalf of the characters is impressive here.
1: And I totally agree with you. And I think this movie has been sort of mismarketed, maybe as something like the Bling Ring when it couldn't right. share any less DNA with a movie like that. Um, this movie is all about perception and distortion and toxic female friendship. Um, because like what I found so interesting about it, like, so I saw this movie had a gut reaction to it. And then I think what I've thought about it more, I've come to appreciate it more. Um, but the most interesting thing for me in it, and I think it comes down to casting too, of having Paul Sparks there as like the quote unquote evil stepfather is that like he's not a bad guy. He's just a jerk. That's it. He's a his crime is that he's a jerk, but when it comes to like even his choices about being a stepfather to Lily, like she is a troubled teen. Right. Like she should probably be in a special school. Like she is entitled and believes that her life should exist. This way, and probably manages ten times the amount of craziness from this from her mother, who's barely there. It's
0: just in her tanning bed in the
1: garage. Yeah, she's just hanging out in the tanning bed in the garage. But I think that he is only a bad guy because these two characters decide that he is their antagonist, right? And that, that's an interesting thing to have a narrative do instead of like a natural antagonist because the real antagonist is these two women against each other. But at some point they decide that now that they've reached this, once they broach this sort of, and break down this wall of like female honesty, I think with each other and like form a quote unquote friendship or bond that You know, once they're there, almost like wild things, like with the, okay, he he didn't rape her and she just made it up. It's like, well, where do we go here? And whereas like wild things is like, it's a huge conspiracy and you don't even know what's next. This movie's like, well, then they need an activity to do. And the activity that they do is just how to commit murder and get away with it.
0: That's where this movie kind of turns on this, I think, a really interesting commentary on class and the kind of people who succeed now it's not like the most prescriptive or accessible or maybe even like depthful commentary but it is there like what happens to Lily is that she will use everyone including spoiler alert her dead stepfather to get a college interview lunch That people don't normally get Like she will continue to climb Like upon the heads Of the people in her life Whereas Anton Yelkin And Amanda Both of whom reference Steve Jobs As sort of this like off the path American like businessman pioneer They won't make it Like the the evil here Is the kind of person who Will use people to Climb the privileged trajectory They were always climbing And
1: I I think there's also wisdom, too, in um, the speech that Amanda gives, too, about, like, you know, you can have all these horrible qualities, but the worst one of them is indecisiveness. Right, right. And that is ultimately – the characters that succeed in this movie are the ones who are decisive. Right. And the ones who don't back away from making – I mean, even if the wrong choice. Because that's the thing. It's – it's unpacking these two women's lives, young women's lives as we've almost missed the, the problem that they've encountered. What we're seeing is how they sort of use what comes to them to fix it. So for Amanda, it's that she killed this fucking horse Right. (laughs) scene six, uh, the fucking horse dies. Um, and she has to figure out like what to do with her reputation, her life, her like what she could be doing. She has like a a court like a court date set for like uh, animal abuse, right. and I mean her reasons are not as sinister as they sound. But then we find out later that Lily is an, who's supposedly not only rehabilitating her potential SAT scores but also her social standing has her own blemish on her thing is that she uh, plagiarized a a school paper and got in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of It's figuring out what's next And it's an interesting look at that You know, I've already talked about 10 Things I Hate About You But it's sort of that Senior year Like, what's next? Like, what are the things That I've accomplished Over these four years And how do I Add all those things up And polish this resume So to speak And get to a place Where I'm set up for success
0: Yeah, this is what this movie Is good for Like, (laughs) long-winded Character analysis Um, I think if you're One of the best things I saw written about this uh, Was from a guy uh, Winston Wilson Cook at Spin Who is just like Thoroughbreds is a cult movie In search of a cult Like it's a high school movie That should be speaking to now In a really interesting way And yet is so from the mind Of a 28 year old male playwright That I don't know if it's going to find its cult But for our purposes today I'm willing to stand back and give it a a, a good, a, like a an early year good good that I'm excited about. I mean, I first, if I can shout out two quick things before I leave it. Uh, the Anton Yelkin line reading at the very end where he says, well, sorry for your loss. As though like feeling like he has to say something, but also knowing that the the young woman he's saying it to is an absolute monster who feels nothing for her loss is like, Is a beautiful piece of acting And just makes me miss him all the more And then the final speech from Like very theatrical But the final letter from Amanda Which is just like Horses mating and dancing in the ruins Was all that was left Is such a like tantalizing image I think it's good good
1: Interesting I think this is a good bad I think it's Because it is a cult movie That's such a good way to put it It's a cult movie in search of a cult But I think it's also like a weirdly Dated movie It's a movie that maybe has a bit of a tin ear To What concerns teens Like right now Like it's I thought it was almost like unforgivable That like social media did not play a role In this movie You know And they're sort of there's just something about it that feels like I got it. And I feel like if it was released when I was in high school, it would have been like incredibly powerful. And that's, you know, you and I can discuss it as like people who haven't been out of high school for 10 years, but to quote the bare naked ladies, you're so 1990 and it's 1994, you know?
0: (laughs) Uh, I would say you've dated yourself, but it seems like you did so intentionally twice.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna say good, bad.
0: You don't want to watch it again.
1: Uh, I I'm in no rush to watch it again.
0: All right, all right. Well, I can't force you, but I'll I'll see it as soon as it pops up on VOD. Okay, should we go now to another movie within this genre of teenage girls plotting against skeezy? Older Men, which is Flower.
1: Yes, please.
0: Well, it's directed by Max Winkler, son of uh, Henry Winkler. Hey. And (laughs) uh, that was the most committed Fonz impression we've ever done on the show. And co-written by Matt Spicer, who wrote that movie Ingrid Goes West last year. Another movie about sort of like, uh, you know, mental or ethical deficiencies leading to weird plots among among young women. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You want to sum- summarize this one? I feel like I did the last two.
1: So this movie follows uh, Zoe Dutch's Erica, who I guess is in a in high school, and um, she's seventeen, and her skill that she's realized her job her after school job is giving older men blowjobs, and then blackmailing them but with her friends like filming it into making, then taking them to the ATM and that whatever they have in their checking account. She blackmails them into giving her. And at the onset of the movie, we she's doing it to like a local cop and mm-hmm. he gives her money and we realize that she's accrued something like $15,000 doing this with her like weird group of friends.
0: Yeah.
1: And her home life, I mean, it's not... Maybe as fucked up as that sort of, you know, hobby would lead you to believe. It's Catherine Hahn as her mother, and she's, like, getting pretty serious with Tim Heidecker as Bob. Mm-hmm. And pretty quickly into the movie, Tim Heidecker goes and picks up his son Luke, uh, played by Joey Morgan. I haven't seen him before. Me neither. I've seen Zoe Dutch in a couple of things, uh, that Linklater movie, uh, Everybody Wants Some. She's pretty good in.
0: She was the lead in why him, I think, with oh, yeah. and Franco.
1: I didn't see that. Me neither. Um, but yeah, but uh Luke has been in rehab, like court ordered sounds like rehab for some bad behavior and some eating stuff and some drug abuse. And at first, Eric is pretty excited to meet like her heroin, hot, skinny, new, uh, stepbrother. But then it turns out that he's like a fat sort of schlubby guy who doesn't really speak and is like ashamed of, you know, what brought him here. And we sort of piece together what that is too. And meanwhile, as a 17 year old, um, where are we in Southern California somewhere? Yeah. Um, yeah. Zoe Dutch and her friends only have a few places to hang out. And one of them is the bowling alley. And they see this like hot guy that they sort of make up a story for in their minds. And he's played by Adam Scott, who I cannot believe they like got to do this movie, especially considering where this movie goes. He's Um, in
0: there really doing Adam Scott stuff at the beginning, though. Just like being sort of like a petite, hot man Who's like good at bowling and his hair bobs around. And he's just like, yes, with his friends.
1: Yeah. So, and then these stories of the kid getting out of rehab, the other daughter giving blowjobs, and this Adam Scott uh, being a bowling guy sort of converge in a sudden and sort of Bizarre noir slash well chance, did you see End of the Fucking World? It was on Netflix. It's like an eight part, like I don't oh, even know no, if I can I call it a mini that. series, because they're like twelve to eighteen minute episodes. It was right. on the BBC. Right. And it is like remarkably similar to this movie in oh. the second act of it, I would say. Okay. I don't really want to ruin it because I don't think the movie's technically out yet, right? It's just out in a few theaters. And I think for some people, you know, film weirdos like us, like it's certainly worth seeing. Luke's a complicated little guy. He accused a teacher of fondling him thinks he saw them around town.
2: Shaking down a child molester is our moral obligation. Nobody's going anywhere until we see this guy molest somebody. I don't think he will. He's like a pro. That's what you get like a subterranean dungeon for. What? Yeah. Totally. Oh. Do I know you? I'm sorry? Bowling alley. You're hot old guy. Me my friends, we've been ogling your goodies for like the last six months. My goodies? Yeah.
1: Oh my god. Okay.
2: So what's the plan? What if we break in and tie him up? Yeah. Dom him like he's our little bitch. Surprise! I'm not stalking you or anything. As you can tell, I have like major daddy issues.
0: Cause like these other movies, it's trying to capture something timely from like a a male writer's perspective of like what a young woman in a genre movie does. I think this and Thoroughbreds are so interesting because A movie like Wild Things has no qualms about its exploitation. These two movies are trying to make exploitation films in their own way without exploiting, trying not to exploit the women.
1: Right. And in turn being sort of like anti-exploitation parables.
0: Yes, that's a good way to put it.
1: And this one sort of grapples with the sexual assault of a minor, like by a person in power, specifically a teacher. So it's, it has that overlap with wild things and it sort of has the, the charisma of a wild things, but then it doesn't necessarily like give the characters the long game, the ridiculous contrived long game. Of, right. I mean, it acknowledges that these are teenagers, much the way Thoroughbreds does and gives them sort of, I mean, you know, the world is flat and you can see sort of to the front of your yard and not much further in your mm-hmm. thinking about how actions lead to reactions. Um, I just think though, where Thoroughbreds makes some interesting choices about where to go Go with that and where to look at the, A you know sort of coming Of age human mind Um flower Is uh totally Despicable
0: <laughs> Okay before we get into that Cause I think there's a lot wrong with this movie Um but I, w- I Want to say what I like about it I think I like it More than you probably And I think also more than Maybe the average reviewer I think in a big way because this movie paints itself into a corner from which it can never escape, which is like part of the anti-wild things failure about it. But I think the Erica character, especially as portrayed by Zoe Dutch, is, is a really interestingly fleshed out character because she's sort of externalizing everything. Like Erica is a person who pushes and needles... Everyone in her life, whether it's the people she's exploiting or whether it's her mother or whether it's Bob And the Zoe Dutch performance is so outward that at a certain point you kind of Intuit the fact that there is some like gaping void of need in this character and it's interesting to me that in lieu of Actual like sort of like sex scenes the most affecting moments of intimacy are her like cuddling with her mom Um, As though she were like, you know, four or five years old And I think that there's something really interesting implied there At the same time as Zoe Dutch is pushing outward And you know there's going to be this moment somewhere Where we figure out like, what is the missing piece of this character? I think what the movie gives you is a dumb piece But I think the journey with the character is cool I think
1: most of the journey and most of the performance is very interesting And I don't blame Zoe Dutch for the ending of this movie But I think it's sort of weird to in a movie that's positioned to give the teens of Wild Things finally some sexual and intellectual agency to then say that, well, she was just looking for love all along. Right. You know, and that's not interesting. You know, that that all this like posturing and this outward sort of behavior. Was for nothing more than to kill time Until she could find a relationship Bizarre enough to like Piss off the right people But also like satisfy her Yeah And it really never deals with Her sexuality in any capacity You know it deals with her Like having a crush But like that feels male gazy to me Is that like You know oh it'll take like a good man To like really like you know, have her sexuality come into its own, where it's like clearly she's gotten sort of on a bizarre track thinking of sex as transactional and not as intimate. And I found it contrived both the moments of intimacy she does have with men, you know, that it would be that easy and that their problems would be the... This is what would stand in the way of it, not her own.
0: Right. I mean, I, I don't dis I don't disagree. Um, like I said, I think I think a be- a better end to this movie is her deepening her relationship with her mom and probably like seeing a therapist who specializes in like sexual trauma or misunderstanding right. or something like that. The the thing that happens to Will, the Adam Scott character, is is certainly shocking, but The movie has no idea. Saying that two teens should go to Mexico um, in a script is the same desperate act of two teens trying to get to Mexico in a story. (laughs) Right. You know, it's that level of Hail Mary. Like, once they're on the road, it's just like, this is not Wild Things. This movie does not know how to get out of this, and it doesn't. Right. It's a bad noir in that way.
1: It's a bad noir in that way and it's a bad sort of erotic noir too in that there's so much like sexual act. There's so many sexual acts in this movie, but there's nothing sexy about anything in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And like that's a problem. Like even in a movie like Thoroughbreds, which is totally chaste in its visuals. There is a certain sexiness to it. That is sort of implied that these, like, young, good-looking girls, like, can get what they want and make people believe them because right. they say the right thing. And that move, this movie lacks that sort of – I guess because it's trying to – its intentions are maybe good, but it's sort of like – listening to Matt Damon talk about, like, diversity in Hollywood. <laughs> like, you know he, like, probably means well, but he's saying things that are, like, pretty racist. And I think this movie is the same sort of way. It's like, well, we're trying to give this female character agency sit a panel of three men as right. they, like, refuse to portray her as either a sexual or non-sexual character.
0: I think that's – there was, like, a funny anecdote. You know that Bill Hader show, Barry? right. Um, there's like a Bill Hader did an interview Where he was saying that You know in some like Later episode of that show The character Barry Gives a woman He's just hooked up with Like a laptop The day after they've hooked up And all the men In the, in the writer's room Were like That's a That's pretty cool And the women were like That's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) You can't like give a person you just hooked up with a laptop. And that I think that's like that's the equivalent. The flower directed and written by women is so much better in a way that thoroughbreds because it's such an auteur, one person's vision, mind's eye script, dreams, everything just feels more coherent, cohesive. Yes. And,
1: you know, sometimes a movie like this. Doesn't need an indie movie grand finale. You know, it Cheers. doesn't need its, you know, like a movie like Swiss Army Man, like, needs the ending it has. Cheers to you for bringing that up. But, like, this movie doesn't need, like, a Swiss Army Man ending, you yeah. know? And I think it's this movie for me, like, watching it, it became almost like a parody of, like, a hip independent film. So what do you want to rate it? I I think there's a lot of good in there, but I think the wasted potential of it and this again being another like movie about a young woman coming of age directed and written by a man is like unforgivably weird in this climate. Yeah. So I think it it's it's a bad bad for me.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think it's I think there is a lot Interesting thing about it And I really want to see Zoe Dutch do more stuff She should I Oh hope, sure I hope she doesn't Like hasn't entirely aged Out of this like Young person Sign of the time Style movie um, I don't think she has She's like what 22, 23 She's um, got like
1: One more at least
0: I would I would love to see If Zoe Dutch And like d- Do your edge of 17 Like Yeah Please
1: y- This is not her ladybird though
0: No by no means, um, I think it's probably bad. Bad too. There it is. The people have spoken. By the yeah, let it be
1: written. Let it be done.
0: Yeah. Interesting failure, though. Oh, you know, a pretty interesting
1: failure, and I mean, it'll certainly like be on Netflix if it isn't already. Sure. That's um, a. And if you want to be grossed out by some, like, non-realistic, you know, teens, see what the youths are up to, giving each other blowjobs and whatnot, you know?
0: Can you imagine? Top right corner of the poster. Interesting failure, though. Be real. (laughs) Yep,
1: there it is. (laughs) Every time I speak, I'm going for something so snappy that it could be, you know, used on a poster.
0: We so seldom get there.
1: No, it's just like this block quote of like (laughs) size 12 texts, like Noah Ballard, be real.
0: Yeah, with like 10 ellipses. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Four parenthetical remarks. yep, That include the word parenthetical.
0: Yeah, right in the middle. It's just like, hold on for a second. Have you seen the HBO show Barry? (laughs) (laughs) This was fun.
1: This was so fun. Um, I'm never going to become... A guidance counselor. Don't um I'm never going to join a bowling league and I'm not gonna be someone's rich stepfather. No. The that is the moral to me at least.
0: I mean I'm if I'm in these movies I'm Anton Yelkin.
1: Oh yeah. No, I'm already. I've already become Anton Yelkin.
0: Yeah. It's a shame.
1: In my own way. Um, and
0: I'm Ave, Ave Maria plays whenever I'm around that kind of house.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm certainly not getting a rowing machine anytime soon.
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot to Abby Bender for talking about Wild Things. That was a fun conversation about a, a movie that I think we both recommend seeing if you haven't seen it. I hope you enjoyed Tucson two weeks ago. I hope that I am enjoying Europe in the present tense. Uh, and I'll talk to you when we get back.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into a whole new series of uh, movies that require our reappraisal.